Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. District of Conservation is sponsored by Real Camo Girl, a lifestyle brand for women who love the great outdoors, spanning from hunting, fishing, foraging, archery, shooting sports, and the like. We are proud to have them as a sponsor, and you can learn more about them at www.realcamogirl.com and follow them all across social media to learn more and get involved. Welcome to episode 28 of District of Conservation. Thank you guys for wishing me a happy birthday. On Saturday, I turned 28, so it's interesting getting older and there's so much to look forward to. And I thank you guys again for doing that. More importantly, I have a great guest lined up for the podcast today. I spoke to Nathan Edmondson of Eco Defense Group, which is working to effectively combat poaching of endangered species in Africa. Nathan and I met several years ago in Venice, California over brunch and learned that we had a lot of mutual contacts in hunting, fishing, and the gun industry, but also in politics too. He used to work at one of my old workplaces. So that was really cool to find out when we first connected. And he told me a lot about Eco Defense Group in the last two years. And I've written about them and, and I think it's time that we had him come on the podcast to explain more about his group. So here is Nathan talking about Eco Defense Group, their work to combat poaching and other interesting topics as it relates to conservation. So I think you're going to like it. Nathan, I appreciate you joining District of Conservation to talk about your involvement in wildlife conservation efforts in Africa. So thank you for joining me. Yeah. Yeah. So explain a little bit about how you got involved in wildlife conservation, what your background is. If you have any formal training in this, or it's just something that arose out of a desire to, to help? Um, it certainly didn't rise out of a desire to help, uh, which isn't to say that I don't now have a desire to help. But, uh, you know, I had a background working, uh, writing screenplays, and then I um, was working through another uh, company that I founded with special operations groups, uh, particularly U.S. Army. and through that, I heard about several um, efforts in the Rhino War uh, that involved uh, uh, different levels of expertise that I didn't know had ever been involved in this kind of work, including guys from the special operations community. So I just sort of got interested. And honestly, I'm not even, even looking back, I'm not sure what it was. I think maybe I was looking for a story, uh, but it just intrigued me. And I um, ended up going over with some of these guys, seeing what was going on. And then, uh, I started putting together some ideas about how to carry on some of this work, uh, because a lot of the work was kind of a one-off, didn't have longevity, didn't have uh, funding, uh, to see it through, um, you know, through that year or through that project. And so, you know, through that, I started connecting with the partners that they had on the ground, some of the people working and we founded edge together. And I, uh, founded Edge, not at all intending to run the thing, but just to be involved. Um, but then, 
yeah, that's kind of how it went. It was kind of spurious. It just kind of all fell into place in terms of how you got involved, which is pretty cool. Kind of, that's kind of naturally how a lot of people get warped into conservation causes. So it's just something that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everybody here cares, but nobody sort of woke up in the morning saying we're going to go do this, which means that we were founded out of need rather than purpose. Sure. And I think that you know groups founded out of purpose sometimes end up in a place where they have to justify why they're all showing up. You know, huh. we are scrambling to constantly keep up with these very, very vital needs and these uh, programs that no other NGO or, you know, other group was able to, uh, you know, to solve these kinds of questions. So we were formed to keep solving or keep answering those questions, keep solving those problems. And uh, uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's tough, but we, we feel incredibly fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, I think is what we think. Absolutely. Explain a little bit more about Eco Defense Group or Edge, and that's a good acronym to to uh, to go off of. But what are the goals of the organization, and perhaps some current initiatives? Because I feel like so many people don't know what goes on with various groups on the ground in Africa or abroad, and I can't really speak to personal experience. And I feel like a lot of people, like myself, can't really do that. So explain a little bit about more on how the group operates, what exactly it does, because you have a, you guys have a very extensive ranger program. You have a lot of other really impactful initiatives. So I want you to break down everything as best as you can for that. So, well, I, you know, I can't speak, I think, uh, too intelligently about other groups and how they work, except those that, you know, we sort of come into contact with directly. I suppose I can barely speak intelligently about our group, but, uh, <laughs> You know, we, um, like I said, I mean, for, we kind of don't fly over there, walk around and figure out what can we do. I mean, that is starting to happen in as much as when we're in different areas of operation, um, people come and ask us for things, but we try to be non-imperialistic about everything we do. We bring expertise, but we don't necessarily bring ideas, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, in the case of a project that begins uh, in about three weeks, where we're going to bring our security and tactical acumen to um, to an area that hosts about 10% of Africa's rhino population, uh, but has no coordinated security, no um, state-sponsored security, nothing like that. Uh, we are going to show up for several days and just listen. We're just going to listen to what it is they need, how it is that the people already engaged in this are uh, are effective, what they're lacking. And from there, we'll start to develop a plan. So we're not going over saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going over to listen. And, you know, the the special missions unit individuals with whom we work, um, you know, that's one of the things that sets them apart from, uh, you know, other, um, other people in the special operations communities that these guys are, well, they're excellent listeners. So, uh, you know, I mean, we, um, how that sets us apart from other groups. I mean, I, I can only sort of speak to people who've reacted to how effective what we're doing has been. Um, you know, we, we're also engaged in community efforts, uh, building playgrounds, uh, which is something specifically, you know, that's been specifically requested. Uh, we've started photography clubs and art programs, all of these to, um, to solve a, a larger problem, which is the communities on the front lines of the rhino war and on the front lines of, uh, 
conservation, you know, that is those bordering parks, working in the parks near reserves. Um, if we don't have a partnership from them, if we don't have buy-in from them and we being, you know, those sort of engaged in counter poaching and those interested in the preservation of endangered species, you know, then we can't be effective. It has to start with community. So, uh, we speak to the communities and note, for example, you know, kids grow up to, just several kilometers from a rhino population, but never see one, uh, never learn anything about it. So, you know, how do we bridge that gap and bringing over artists and photographers is an idea that, that I came up with, with, uh, you know, some people I knew that, you know, if you can teach kids to look through art, um, then you not only give them, uh, a, a totally new way to look at and value wildlife, which invites it into just a different space in their mind, but you also give them marketable skill, uh, and a job skill. We, we try to um, we try to emphasize that significantly when we're talking about when it, whatever we're doing with the communities that all of these things uh, are opportunities for some kind of ascendance out of the community, uh, life skills, their career skills, and things like this. So, um, yeah. So I mean, we we work on both sides of the fence. We're also engaged in genetic research of elephants, which is a way to answer the question. Uh, you know, the, the hunting, for example, and big game hunting bring a lot of money into the continent. Even a lot of on-the-ground conservationists are totally in favor of, or at least mm -hmm. not against hunting. But hunting and culling and uh, the uh, movement of big species um, doesn't consider, usually these things don't consider the effects on the um, genetics in a population. So, for example, big game hunter comes into uh to shoot an elephant that otherwise is going to be cold, you know, that in other words, the state is okay with, the lodge is okay with, you know, just to differentiate that from poaching. That may be, you know, sort of fine legally, um, but they're going to go after the biggest, best trophy generally, and nobody's considering what effect that has on the gene pool of those animals. Uh, mm. Similarly, if you're going to try to move, um, uh, which is why, well, one reason, for example, that, you know, the big tuskers are disappearing. Uh, there's several reasons, but, you know, the big tusker elephants, which used to be more common around the continent, you know, there's, there's, you can count how many are left on just about uh, a couple of hands. So, um, you know, so understanding the genetics of a species, uh, selective breeding for hunting and kind of, a, 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 you know, a, a designer breeding. If one of those animals jumps a fence and mixes with the population, then you're talking about, hundreds of thousands, at least of years of uh, genetic development to protect these animals uh, or give these animals a competitive advantage that's then suddenly thrown awry. Um, and if you're looking, you know, elephants are overcrowded all over the continent. And if you're trying to move elephants from an overcrowded sanctuary reserve to somewhere else, um, you need to know the genetics because elephants, for example, they they migrate great distances, move great distances to avoid inbreeding. Um, and if you're moving populations around, you have no idea if you're giving advantage to the genetic population, if you're pushing elephants together that are closely related and they're going to fight to get away from each other, they're going to kill each other, kill, you know, break down mm. fences. So there's all kinds of problems that come with not understanding uh, the genetic map. So we're invested in that as well, um, along with some partners on the ground. So, you know, these are all questions that we were founded because nobody else could answer, essentially. Uh, and we have unique expertise in-house and kind of in a, in a very close network.
I don't know if that answers the, the questions exactly, but it gives you some of the sense goals. Of, yeah. Yeah. It does. I, yeah. I didn't, I mean, I'm generally supportive of calling. I, I, I don't, I'm young in my hunting, uh, adventure and I've seen the merits for so-called trophy hunting. And I, I would much prefer that to poaching, but do you think, uh, perhaps the people who are breeding, could they work with groups like you guys to ensure that there's not so much disparity? Cause I know that they don't want to see all those creatures gone, but it, do you guys have partnerships with people on the ground or potentially those, uh, reserves as well? And do they want to work with groups like yours too? Yeah, well, we only work on the ground with uh, other group. We we do nothing without partnership. Um, mm-hmm. But as as far as you know, I mean, we're not partnered with any um, uh, with any like uh, safari hunting oh, sure. or yeah. organizations or anything like that. But reserves that um, you know face culling or have to move animals. Yeah, those are certainly the ones we're talking to about both protecting their animals, uh, improving mm-hmm. their security, and uh, looking at things like this. And you know, it's not all just sampling, darting, and processing genetics some of it's just you know uh they need help you know they they have limitations so um yeah i mean we many many i don't want to speak for every country everywhere everybody but i mean this sensibility and the desire to kind of do things in a more uh in a way that uh is protective of populations as a whole is something very much um you know that that yeah we that many many uh uh, of the, of the reserves or groups or parks share. Yeah, I think it's important to do that. And especially with your work with the organization's work to help restore the status of endangered species. And you were kind of alluding to this and I've seen this in the trophy documentary that came out from CNN, how, what you were saying that without a lot of reinforcements in local communities, a lot of the locals will resort to poaching. Is that true too? Because you have those reinforcements in place so that they don't have to choose between going into poaching or not doing anything in their life. Because a lot of these locals, from what experts have suggested, will sadly go into poaching because they find it to be lucrative and a way to get them out of poverty. So that it's kind of like a uh, alternative to going into poaching. I want to clarify that. Is that true? Um, I, I, I mean... I, I don't know that I can obviously speak to every case, and sure. every, but certainly, in your experience, you know, you've in... got, well, I mean, certainly you've got incredibly impoverished communities who could get essentially a year's worth of pay for two nights work, uh, or several months worth of pay, or, you know, they may not get any, have any kind of income at all. So, you know, the, the, when a syndicate comes along and offers an opportunity like this, it's very difficult to deter, um, you know, to deter this, this scenario. Uh, and, and you see the same thing in poor inner cities, even in the U S where kids are recruited into gangs because they sure. like opportunity. And because, you know, all these things. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case. I mean, I think that, um, there's certainly, uh, that's part of like our arts and community programs and things like that. If you can bring a different ethos into the community, <clears throat> you can never, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll never be able to stop this, to stop poaching so long as there's poverty, Mm -hmm. right? But if you can get communities to police themselves, communities to have their own instincts and to place value on wildlife, um, and if you can bring economic opportunities with those animals, like turning them into into ambassadors, and, um, uh, you know, they bring in tourism money that way, or, you know, there's lots of ways that you can help 
turn the, you know, sort of turn the wheel away from, um, you know, away from poaching being the first and most obvious opportunity. But yeah, at the end of the day, you still have to have counter poaching and ranger outfits because there is poverty and where there's poverty, there will be crime. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there is no more profitable crime uh, than poaching. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So speaking of poaching, I think I sent you an email the day that this uh, interesting expose came out from BuzzFeed. I mean, we, we should we could take it with a grain of salt because sometimes they have questionable reporting. But they examined uh, a case study where the World Wildlife Fund apparently mm-hmm. had a paramilitary force to fight poaching. And then they unearthed that they were committing human rights abuses. And it's a really lengthy piece. And I read it because I want I want to be open minded with a lot of the information that comes out there. I had no idea they had a, a paramilitary force. And uh, speaking, I know that they were saying that some of their paramilitary rangers were employing a lot of uh, aggressive behavior. I think sexual assault is something they mentioned. And I don't, I don't think that should be a blanket statement of every armed ranger who protects and combats poaching. Obviously, speaking to what Eco-Defense Group does, uh, having read that expose, would you say that this is perhaps a outlier? This doesn't typically happen. Um, and what can groups like yours do to ensure that uh, you don't succumb to, let's say, the World Wildlife Fund misgivings that they've had? Is this a common thing or is it just this is an outlier or what do you know? Well, about I, I mean, it's 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 like a, um, you know, it's like a police force in a big city. Right. When you. You get to a certain size and you're not recruiting or paying the best, recruiting the best. There's going to be lots of, you know, institutional issues. I certainly don't know how much WWF is to blame specifically for this, Uh, you know, in the same way that I don't know how much you can blame Wells Fargo for, uh, you know, oil pipeline spills. But, um, you know, but I I mean, I think that and, and even if I had a better sense of that than one article, I, I don't know that I would speak to put down a group like WF. But I will say that I, I think the because um, uh, uh, Amnesty International faced something similar. You know, mm-hmm. when you are a group that size, um, they're invested in a whole lot of projects and a whole lot of places and giving money to you know a whole lot of efforts. And so the fact that there's corruption in one effort or that you see, um, you know, sort of bad apples in the mix, I don't think should be any surprise, but I do think it should alert people to be, uh, and other groups to be aware of, um, you know, having greater insight into, Mm -hmm. you know, the projects that they're invested in to, you know, it's difficult because you would like to think that just because you recruit somebody for counter poaching, that they're going to be somehow noble, even if they are paid by the state, you know, in the same way that you think that if we recruit, you know, U.S. soldiers in the military, that they're somehow noble. But the truth is people are people. And right. a lot of the peop- the rangers or those recruited into these paramilitary forces um, are, are, you know, they're very human, right? And they're, they come from the same communities that the poachers come from. So um, <clears throat> I do think that the onus is on us, for example, as we work to develop, you know, security to be sure that we like we have no interest in training a militia. We have no interest, and I mean, not I mean legally that would be an issue. <laughs> but I mean that's that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring unique resources to bear to make those who are already engaged asymmetrical and possibly to let them grow efforts. But I think that you have to be um, very uh, scrupulous in figuring out how you approach 
putting anybody into a position of law enforcement authority or anything. So yeah, I would certainly say that that article stands as like a very stark reminder for groups like ours to just be wary, careful and sensible. Um, but yeah, as far as the veracity of a lot of that stuff, I have heard of things like that, but you know, generally it's in a context that it's no surprise. Um, again, when you're training a counter poaching force, for example, and building, you know, a, a, a group that has authority and has weapons and stuff like that, but they don't have the oversight of a state with, you know, infrastructure and things like that. I, I think naturally you're going to invite problems and what the percentages of, you know, the groups that have no, have no problems to those with serious endemic institutional issues. I could not tell you. Yeah. And perhaps they outsource too much of their training efforts and maybe they're not as personally invested as, groups like yours, because I know uh, from what you've told me and, and just research I've done and, and other groups that exist, a lot of them are really closely monitoring who comes into the fold, who they train, perhaps a vetting process, and then they have reinforcements to ensure that the people they recruit are adept and, and not going to succumb to outwardly human behavior <laughs> in their mission statement. But but perhaps, like you said, it, it's, a, it's probably too big of an operation. They outsource a lot of that to people who could be questionable in their practices and yeah, they just have, probably have to do a better job, I guess. Yeah. You, you have to be extremely careful of recruitment oversight. Um, you know, all of these things. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, when you, I mean, we have at edge, we have no interest in growing to become a, a world, uh, a global fund. We have no interest in getting that big. We want to always mm -hmm. be very intimately, uh, you know, tied in with the projects we're doing. Uh, we certainly want to expand to a degree, but, um, you know, one of our kind of, uh, um, foundational, um, understandings is that we never want to grow beyond a certain size. And that's part of the reason, you know, we bring very unique skills, very unique, uh, um, technologies and different things. And we want to have very close oversight into, uh, the effectiveness and, um, all of that. So yeah, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's very compelling. Cause I, I figured with you knowing firsthand that you can kind of speak more to it. And, and obviously I don't think that whole expose accurately reflects every anti-poaching effort involving paramilitary, but obviously you gave kind of a raw aspect or a raw perspective because people do fall through the cracks, but it's good that your, your organization doesn't do that. <laughs> you guys are very careful about not having it grow to gargantuan heights and, and kind of letting those efforts run amok. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope, hope we never run into an issue like that with anybody right. who will quit, but yeah. Yeah. For the most part, you kept it manageable. Why should Americans you think with all the craziness that happens here domestically care about preserving and conserving endangered wildlife in Africa? Why is why especially should they uh, have some concern? They don't have to be fully invested. Invested, but why do you think, uh, conceptually speaking, that they should care if they care about conservation? Well, um, I mean, you know, th look, there's lots of things to care about. I mean, there. Uh, this is a global concern. You mm -hmm. know, if we lose a species on our watch to extinction, we've all lost it, and we are all culpable. And it is, I think it's very, very difficult to measure um, how significant that is. Uh, or I should say it's very difficult to overestimate how mm -hmm. significant that is. Um, 
so, you know, this is, I mean, there, there's like, I mean, I, when I got involved, I mean, that question comes up. Okay, if you're going to go give your time, why give your time to this versus girls pulled into sex trafficking, for example, in the neighborhood around you? It doesn't mean you should care about one and not the other. But I think for us, like I said, we're in the right place at the right time. So we have the opportunity, you know, to do something. This There's also a very binary nature to what's happening. That is when the uh, sort of species numbers are counted down to zero, that's it. You know, there's no return to that. And it just happened with the northern male white rhino. It will yes. happen with all other rhinos on the planet. So, um, you know, this is something that uh, we can clearly look and see, here's what's going to happen. It will go from this to this, like a light switch being flipped off one day. So, um, yeah, I think that that is a global concern. And I think um, that uh, whether or not you're particularly invested in going on safaris or you have an affection for animals beyond nature documentaries or whatever it is i mean mm -hmm. i don't know that i've met, ever met anybody who isn't doesn't have a real affection for wildlife but yeah uh, usually most people do they enjoy the program at least or they partake in some form of hunting or safari viewing or birding or wildlife photography i feel like that kind of makes people at peace <laughs> when they have other things to bicker about i think nature videos kind of unify people <laughs> yeah yeah, it is true because you see uh, various different stakeholders. You see more uh, interest groups. You see hunting organizations have a concern about it. I don't know anyone who doesn't have a concern. I understand people have different goals about how they go about that. But uh, I think more Americans are kind of waking up to it. I know with the northern white rhino that you mentioned, a lot of people were just like posting about it. And it's really sad and lamentable that something as iconic as that was down to to the very last uh, members of that of that uh, species in particular. Well, and I think that's a great example. And I'm sorry, I uh, some noise is coming to my environment. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the you know the the time to care about the disappearance of the northern white rhino, um, what well, you know was years ago. You know, once it's beneath about 30 animals, you've lost the species. They can't really repopulate in a healthy way at that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the media cared when it went extinct. And that's unfortunate. I mean, it's it's understandable in terms of how the news works, but it's unfortunate because, yeah, the at that point, it's just a headline. Um, so, right. yeah. They should have been more proactive. Say, or somebody, somebody should have been. We all should have yeah. been. You know, so, um, you know, who exactly failed in that, you know, in that effort? There were plenty of people putting a lot of, you know, putting their lives on the line to protect those mm -hmm. animals. So, uh, you know, there's nobody I can point out to say, you didn't do enough. Sure. I didn't do enough. Nobody did. And so we can sit around and write headlines or we can say, you know, how are we going to make sure that we, this doesn't happen again? So, yeah, I, uh, I just think it's, yeah, the time to care is before it's a headline. Right, absolutely, to take a more proactive stance towards it. Uh, the areas that you guys focus on, is it strictly Kruger National Park or and South Africa, or is it other countries too? Are you expanding your operations to nearby countries? And what do you feel is perhaps the biggest impediment to your work? Is it the poachers? Is it any other existential threat or roadblock too? So kind of speak to both those points. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, no, we, we have... 
work and we continue to do some work in Kruger. We uh, are working in other areas of South Africa. We have done things outside of South Africa. Uh, right now, you know, the, the rhino war, the front lines are in South Africa. So that's mm-hmm. where um, certainly our, our um, most substantial efforts are focused right now. Um, as far as the greatest impediment to our work, um, uh, financial. I mean, number one is financial. We need money to do what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that's the first thing. That's the most difficult thing when you wake up in the morning and say, here's what we need to do. Can we afford it? You know, who's going to support this? So there's that. Um, and then, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, poachers are certainly an impediment to, you know, the, the well-being and right. uh, security of a species, no question. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I mean, I don't know that I would say that, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sorry. That's a difficult question to answer. I mean, we've got all kinds of impediments to being effective and then there's impediments mm-hmm. to, you know, the survival of the species. So those are two different things. So obviously we face the same problems that the species face, but when I wake up in the morning, usually the first thing on my mind is, is where's the money going to come from? Yeah, that's always usually a concern with any cause out there because if you don't have that, you can't do your efforts and and go about actually combating anti-poaching effort or combating poaching, excuse me, or trying to help conserve a species there duly. Yeah, because it it is hard. And you actually have had a lot of celebrities. I know with a GoFundMe fundraiser you guys did a while ago, not not too long ago, you had a lot of celebrity support. Does that help too with your efforts? It does. I mean, we've still got a GoFundMe going now. I mean, going out crowdfunding is we, we've had some great um, actors and other, you know, uh, uh, people with um, public prominence get behind us. And mm-hmm. that's been great. Um, you know, we found that just because an actor has a lot of followers doesn't mean you get, you know, we've had actors with multi-million followers tweet about us and we don't get a dollar. Um, you know, because there, there's a gap in, in sort of how people, you know, the, the people who follow a celebrity and those who actually engage in a celebrity we've learned really needs to make this their cause, not just sort of put it out there. So we've had some who have done that and have been awesome advocates. Um, mm-hmm. they were sort of, or they were very grateful for, but, uh, yeah, I, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you, we want any, any support we can get and we are happy to have allies, but I would. I would push all day long for, you know, two, um, two actors who have a really intuitive and, uh, and, and who care very deeply versus a lot of people who are just willing to put it out there. So we're trying to find great relationships and we have found some very great relationships in this, but, um, you know, but at the end of the day, an actor can be an ambassador. They can bring you support, but, uh, that'll never be sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's some things we do that we limit our exposure on to protect, uh, you know, for security reasons and protect right. um, the backgrounds of those involved with us. So, yeah. Yeah. How about, uh, let's say like, uh, the federal government here or, uh, governments in Africa, have they expressed interest in, I don't know, in terms of if you guys can take grant money for your work, cause I know as a non-governmental organization, sometimes you can get larger sums of funding from entities like that or other conservation groups. Does, is that something you guys also tackle too or, or welcome or that's not really in your wheelhouse? Um, we, yeah, we, we have had some 
I guess, limited support in that world. You know, we're fairly new as an institution. and mm-hmm. You know, we're still exploring things and what kind of strings come attached. You know, we're very careful who we get involved with. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not, you know, theoretically, we're not against um, having support from, from anybody. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've looked out, we've, we've applied for government grants. Uh, you know, working with governments in Africa, first of all, as a, as a policy, I try to bring money over, not take money from yeah. um but but you you in some ways certainly with rangers and things you want them to give um uh, give the support of supplies and give the uh institutional support if it's a ranger force and you know you have to be considerate of the fact that they have an institution there and we're the outsiders in those cases mm-hmm. yeah it must be complicated but probably is somehow possible to to work around too because as you said earlier in the interview that a lot of the locals view Americans or Europeans as imperialists. And I always hear this argument of neo-imperialism for people who oppose true conservation efforts in Africa. So it, yeah, I think building trust certainly with, with them on the ground is, is helpful. And and um, I, yeah, I know it's complicated to work with their various governments, sometimes with corruption or just a lot of bureaucracy. And so I know that can be very difficult from there, from that sure. standpoint, yeah. yeah. And since you were talking about people pitching in to support you financially, what can people do who are listening to the podcast do to learn more about the organization and support? Because I would certainly love to see you guys succeed. And I have no doubt plenty of others would love to see an operation like this uh, succeed at, at what you guys are doing. So what can people do to support you guys? Well, um, you know, for, for one thing, I mean, we, we need donors, we need advocates, we need, and, you know, we'd love to have donors that we build a relationship with. And we invite donors to join us sometimes, uh, certainly, you know, to have deep conversations with us about our work. Um, we, uh, you know, we have uh, programs like uh, you can adopt an elephant with us. Uh, we have mm. elephants with our partners that we've saved from culling. All this is on our website, which is uh, ecodefensegroup.org. And, um, yeah, and I mean, you can also reach out edge at ecodefensegroup.org and ask questions or offer to get involved. I mean, we have lots of people who offer their effort to volunteer, which we appreciate, but really don't need volunteers. <laughs> you know, we, if we need labor, we have plenty of people over there. Um, you know, we have a great, uh, sort of, uh, um, we, we built a great house together with, with excellent people. We'll, we'll listen to anybody who says they have a solution, but ultimately, we need fundraising. We're inviting classrooms around the country. So if you have kids to uh, adopt an elephant for their classroom, and learn a lot about elephant conservation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then you can just follow us and see what we're doing uh, on all on all media platforms. You guys have a presence on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And those you want to drop those handles, too. And I'll include them yeah, in the show notes same, as well. Yeah. Same thing everywhere. Eco Defense Group. So everywhere it's at Eco Defense Group. So, um, yeah, no, we're. Uh, eager to have anybody um, involved in the conversation. Absolutely. And are there any last minute things you want to, to put out there before we conclude the interview that people should be uh, knowledgeable about or, or interested in learning about relating to edge? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, we're, what we're doing in April is hugely ambitious and it could have a, a great impact. It's, it's very needed, very necessary. Um, you know, as, as despeciation is happening rapidly, one of our friends over there who had 40 rhino on this reserve is getting rid of, uh, 
half of them because uh, they can't protect them. So, um, you know, that's, that's tragic. Uh, who knows where they're going to go, whether they'll be protected. Um, I don't mean they don't know, but I just mean that it's, it's a tough situation. So, you know, we'd invite you to get involved. We'd invite anybody to, um, you know, if you have any questions about the stuff we're doing, you can reach out and, uh, yeah, we've got a website. We've actually got a, a revamp of it going up here shortly. And that's what's sitting in front of me right now. Um, uh-huh. trying to, uh, get this design all together, but, um, yeah, uh, no, I'd say take a look and see what we're doing and, um, yeah. And then just take it upon yourself to learn everything you can about what's happening over there. That's a lot of good and valuable information. And you've certainly got me interested in, in what you guys are doing just from a slightly different dynamic than what I'm normally used to, because like I mentioned, I do support a lot of the efforts with big game hunting and it's not always perfect, but it's a lot better than the solution. But it's also good to have for people who are not necessarily not comfortable, but would prefer something more topical or something not so controversial. Something like this is probably a good solution for them too. So I want people to have different options in terms of learning about different conservation groups. And I, I'm very impressed with what Eco Defense Group has done, given all you've told me since our first meeting in Venice <laughs> back a few years ago. So I really like yeah. it. The, the pictures are really beautiful and I think everyone can incline themselves to support this because it really is tackling poaching head on. And uh, I want my listeners and anyone who follows me on social media to, to be even more aware about what you guys are doing. And I hope this can spread far and wide to, to more people um, in the media too. Cause I, I just can't simply be that one person. I hope other media figures uh, or bloggers or writers can also learn more about you guys and share the good work that you're doing. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a, like I said, if it's a uh, it's a community effort or it doesn't work at all. So right. there are lots of communities we'd like to have involved. But yeah, no, thank you for the platform and thank you for a uh, you know your your podcast platform where you're yeah. um, doing plenty of good for conservation. Thank you, I appreciate that, Nathan. And yeah, if, if anyone has any questions, I will direct them to you because I have no doubt this will spur a lot of interesting conversation among friends people who partake in conservation and similar avenues. So any way I can help you, I will. And uh, I hope this does explode, light, light up the Apple charts and, and, other, and spark other conversations. So it, it likely could. So we never know what will happen. We'll just have to see how it does. For sure. Awesome. All right. Thank you again, Nathan. This was very enlightening and informative. And I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. And hopefully I'll see you again soon, sometime soon. Yeah, I'm sure we'll cross, but thank you so yeah. much. Good luck. Yeah, anytime. You. Thank you. Wasn't that a thought-provoking interview to listen to? I appreciate Nathan for coming on to chat with me about Edge's efforts to combat poaching and conserving endangered species in Africa. It's something we can learn to do better here in the United States when it comes to North American wildlife species. And I think you guys will profoundly enjoy that so that was really fun i'm going to try to do more interviews like that going forward just because i don't want to always use a monologue to rant but we'll we'll have some more monologues about what is happening in and around the nation's capital as it relates to policies and bad legislation or good legislation too i also want to thank the four to five new reviews we have on apple itunes and apple podcasts I just noticed a big spike in that. So I, I think those of you who reviewed the podcast, I think they came from the Lone Conservative. So we're up to 30 reviews. And if you like this podcast, you can review it 
download, subscribe to each episode on Apple Podcasts, but also on Anchor.fm, where we're hosted and supported on 11 other different channels. So you can find us on 11 different channels using Anchor.fm if you haven't already. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to never miss an update or a guest announcement. And we're going to just keep this rolling and going and I'll have a really cool interview next week. I've already planned out whom I'm talking to and we're going to talk a lot about guns because that's in the news. Unfortunately, with all these mass shootings and just people wanting to punish law-abiding owners for the sins of evil criminals. So we're going to talk to a gun expert about what's happening and I think you guys will like that. Thank you for listening. Appreciate your support and check us out going forward.